Chapter 8. The Mouse Small, warm lights began to appear in the windows of homes from the distant hillside cottages nestled on the storeroom shelves to the thickly settled houses in town. In the shadow of a tall bell tower, the lamplighter was making his rounds. He illuminated a long row of matchsticks, the mouse version of gas lamps, along the edge of the town square. Evening was usually a quiet time in town, a time of walking slowly and talking softly. But this evening, Lester Tilling was doing neither. Excuse me, oh, oh, excuse me, excuse me, sorry, sorry, he apologised as he scurried past couples strolling arm in arm. Lester Tilling happened to be very good at both apologising and scurrying. This was fortunate because he was in a desperate hurry and crashing into everyone in his path. He anxiously weaved through the evening strollers and turned left at the end of the square. Sorry, sorry, Lester mumbled, scurrying. Tilling, came a stern voice. Lester skittered to a halt. He looked up to find that he was in front of the Mouse Council Courthouse, and before him stood none other than the Mayor. Oh, oh, hello, Mr Mayor, Lester said breathlessly. The Mayor looked down his whiskered nose at the quivering mess that was Lester Tilling. Where are you going? Uh, well, my baby's having a... I mean, my wife is going to be a... Oh, right, said the Mayor. Congratulations. Thank you, thank you, sir. I, I'm sorry, really, I really... Lester sputtered, but the Mayor was already walking away. Goodbye, Lester said, nodding nervously. As soon as the mayor passed from sight, Lester sighed in relief and took off again at full scurry. He raced all the way to a long curved road of row houses, each similarly decorated, each almost exactly alike, and into one of these homes, Lester disappeared. Lester Tilling burst through his front door to find three mice huddled together. His wife, Antoinette, their son, Furlow, and the doctor gathered around a soup ladle that had been made into a cradle. Lester joined them to see his baby mouse for the very first time. Antoinette studied the new mouse in the cradle. He was small, ridiculously tiny, smaller than Furlough had been by far, smaller than any mouse she'd ever seen. Swaddled in a handkerchief, the new mouse would go unnoticed were it not for the two exceptionally large ears standing out above the fabric. Oh, his eyes are open, Antoinette cried to the doctor. A rare ray of light had inexplicably found its way into the storeroom and shone directly upon the tiny mouse. More astonishing, the mouse was looking up at the light and he was smiling. Don't worry about it, Antoinette. Sometimes they are, said the doctor. But he isn't cowering. He's looking right at us. Oh, don't worry. He'll learn to cower. They all do in time. But he isn't. The rest of the family stared at its peculiar addition. The mouse wasn't looking back at them. His eyes travelled all around the room, drinking in its rich detail. He seemed particularly fascinated by the walls. They were papered with an illuminated manuscript, and the mouse appeared to study its intricate gold letters. Mommy's so puny, said Furlough, and look at those ears. At the sound of his brother's voice, the baby mouse's enormous ears suddenly moved. They twitched. They flexed and focused on the voice in the same way a person might when noticing something for the first time. They seemed almost... curious... And from the very beginning, Despero Tilling heard more, saw more, and experienced more than any other mouse. Chapter 9. The First Trap Time passed, but even when Despero was old enough to attend school, he had not grown much larger than when we last saw him in his cradle. Still, Despero's puny size didn't stop him from gathering his friends for his latest plan. They stood in a huddle just outside the mouse hole. Despero, don't do it! urged a young mouse. The others agreed. Nobody wanted Despero to go through with his plan. It was dangerous. 
and definitely against the rules. If the Mao's council, and especially the mayor, found out, who knew what they would do? Despero wasn't listening to his friends. His eyes remained fixed on something several feet away. To an observer with any common sense, the mouse's mission was impossible. On one side was a wisp of a mouse. On the other, a large, loaded mouse trap. The tiny mouse would surely die. Or give up. But Despero charged straight at the contraption. Despero! His friends cheered between cowering. With a giant leap, Despero flung himself into the trap's jaws. He knocked the cheese clean off the trigger, just as the trap's huge lethal bar sliced through the air like a guillotine. Whap! The other mice covered their eyes. They could hardly bear to see what had happened to their small friend. Hesitantly, they peeked out from behind their trembling paws. The bar had just missed Despero's neck. He dived for safety and landed on his head and was righting himself when, plunk, down came the cheese, smacked between his ears. All right, whooped his friends, descending on the tasty prize. Despero, however, did not look at the cheese. He was looking at the sprung mousetrap and smiling. Yes, Despero was pleased with his game and his friends were delighted with their prize. But in beating the trap, Despero had done something serious. He'd broken a rule. No one broke rules in the mouse world, not on purpose at least. The rules were everything. Rules were what kept the mice safe and what kept them so wonderfully afraid of the mayor and the mouse council and just about everything else. Without rules, mice might be like rats. But Despero wasn't scared. He was already wondering where he could find another mouse trap. You see, Despero Tilling had no idea that he was small. He wasn't just small in human terms. He was small even for a mouse. But to tell you the truth, he didn't even notice. In his own mind, Despero was a giant. Chapter 10. What the mouse found. Most young mice cause their parents to worry every now and then. But most young mice do not play with mouse traps for fun. Needless to say, Mr and Mrs Tilling were exceptionally concerned. They decided it was time for a talk with Despero's teacher. Despero's school stood on top of an old chess table. It was a formal-looking schoolhouse, built from a series of leather-bound books and topped with a graduation cap, and the Tillings cowered respectfully as they entered. They found Despero's classroom and took a seat inside. We're, 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 we're worried about him, said Lester, sitting uncomfortably before the teacher. He, he doesn't scurry. He, he doesn't cower. And at first we thought he'd grow out of it, but... but well, he scurries sometimes, Antoinette interrupted. But not when he's scared. He just does it for fun. And he never cowers. We've showed him how to, but... Despero's teacher smiled. Well, some kids are slower than others. He'll cower in time. We'll work on it. Yes, 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 but... Lester began. It'll be fine, I promise, the teacher assured him. Despero's teacher kept her word and began reinforcing cowering skills the very next day in school. All right, all right, settle down, she ordered the rowdy mice before her. In her paw, she held a large deck of flashcards. Ready, class? She raised the first card for Despero and his classmates to see, and on it was a picture of Swiss cheese. The mice leaned forward in interest. Then came Cheddar, and again the mice leaned forward, licking their lips. Good, said the teacher. And another one, this time some brie. Excellent. And finally, a carving knife. <laughs> the class squealed. The mice screamed and hid under the desks, covering their faces with their paws. But Despero did not do any of these things. Despero Tilling stared straight ahead. 
Desperate, the cheetah chided. Yes? You didn't cower. Looks like a sword, he said. It's a carving knife, she said, shocked. It's beautiful, Despero said, sighing. It's dangerous. Despero smiled, savouring the word. Do you? Do you have any more? He asked. To Despero, danger was delicious. So it was only a matter of time before the danger-hungry mouse found the dark edge of town and what lay in it. This part of the mouse world was a graveyard for everything the mice couldn't use. It was a filthy place where unwanted objects decayed in huge forgotten piles, where, once in a while, an unwanted mouse went to disappear. Forever. Despero had spotted an iron grate, and for some reason it was causing an unprecedented amount of cowering amongst his friends. Curious, Despero slid down the slope that led to the grate. Despero, what are you doing? asked his friend. We're not even supposed to be here. That's the dungeon. There are rats down there. And they'll eat you, said a second mouse. And pull your arms off, added a third. The tiny mouse neared the grate, and as he did, his ears twitched and turned toward it. Despero heard a distant noise coming from deep below. It was some kind of strange and horrible singing, a low chanting. Despero peered into the abyss. How far down is it? I don't know, said the first mouse. No one's ever come back. How come? Despero asked. Because, because, the mouse said trembling. Because that's where you go when you get, when you get, said the second mouse. Banished? asked Despero, looking back towards his friends. What do you get banished for? shuddering mice gasped and talked over one another oh you know rules and yeah the breaking breaking of the rules can't even talk about it well yeah because that's one of the rules surely you will not be surprised to learn that despero was not paying any attention to his friend's warnings despero his friends pleaded i just want to have a quick look despero said he stopped to listen again for the chanting trying to make out the words as to what unspeakable horrors lay below Despero walked closer to the grate. He went right up to its edge, close enough to detect a smell rising from it. A wretched, rotting, nightmarish stench. We've got to get out of here, one of his friends whispered. Despero crawled out onto a long plank that jutted over the grate. The mice shook to the tips of their ears. Oh my gosh, oh no, oh sheesh, oh, they all chattered. Despero, you can't feed them, one whispered quite loudly. But Despero was already leaning over the plank and holding out a crumb. Could the rats smell it, he wondered. Could they smell him? Hello, he called, staring into nothingness, and heard his own voice eerily return back to him. The other mice covered their eyes. Here you go, whoever you are, Despero said. The mouse let go of the crumb and watched as the darkness swallowed it whole. Chapter 11 A Rat is a rat. The wretched, rotting, nightmarish stink that Despero smelled could only have come from one thing. A rat. Far, far below the grate, two red eyes pierced the darkness. The rat happened to be fishing by the edge of an open sewer when a crumb plunked rudely upon his head. Now if one rat smelled that bad, can you imagine what hundreds of them smelled like? The stench above the grate was almost pleasant compared to the vile rankness that permeated the sewers below. You discover the stench only grew worse if you were to follow the filthy river snaking beneath the castle, and if you were to fumble blindly through the sewer's dank tunnel, you'd not only smell evil, but hear it. 
a faint echo of drumming and chanting. But you would never do this. No one would, because if you followed the tunnel to the end, you would find yourself in a huge underground chasm where no ray of light ever entered. You'd be in the belly of the rat world, and no one, no one had ever escaped this place alive. In fact, the rats made their very homes from the bones and skulls of their victims, the dungeon's prisoners. Like the mice, they also created a world from cast-off objects, but instead of shiny spoons and polished boxes, the rats chose the most disgusting garbage, fish skeletons, mouldy food, and a chicken's foot. Within the rats' underground village, the river emptied into a large lake of raw sewage. Boats made of lobster shells drifted aimlessly in the black waters, and across the lake the stark outline of a coliseum dominated the horizon. Rats entertained themselves in the littered streets. Some placed bets on scorpion fights. They cheered loudly for their favourites as the creatures jabbed at each other viciously. Another rat sat nearby and played a flute to a bowl of worms like a snake charmer. The streets were loud and boisterous, and the activity was only interrupted when a dinner bell suddenly rang throughout the town. It was feast day, the best day of the week, the day the castle's trash was thrown down the garbage chute and into the centre of the rat town square. The rats dropped what they were doing, and they ran from all over the village and streamed over a bridge made from a human backbone. Everyone headed for the mountain of garbage that had just arrived. A tremendous fire, the village's only light, blazed in the open square, and the sound in the square was deafening. A massive tangle of rats were working themselves into a frenzy, and from a raised dais made of a knight's rusted armour, Botticelli watched the rats dance and sing. Stinky, dark and foul and rotting, oozing sores and blood that's clotting. Mmm, delicious, hits the spot. It's great to be a rat. Their bodies cast dark, menacing shadows along the walls as they swarmed over a mouldy garbage pile. Hundreds of rats danced around in a circle, holding matches over their heads like giant torches. The mob reveled, feverish, reeling wild in the torchlight, chanting ever loud as they celebrated the life of the rat. When we see a chained-up victim, our hearts bleed, and then we lick him. Chew his ears and nose, they pickled him. We're just being rats. Give us flesh and filth and bile. What you think is gross and vile makes us sing and dance and smile. We like to live like that. At the end of the song, Botticelli signalled for the feast to begin. The rats tossed a rotten apple core up to the sky, and it exploded in midair, raining a slimy pulp and seeds onto the roaring crowd. The younger rats dived on the putrid garbage. They crammed it into their mouths, slurping and slobbering, while their elders began singing all over again. All except one. Roscuro stood motionless in the torchlight, watching. You're not dancing, came a low voice to his left. Roscuro turned to see Botticelli in the shadows. Oh, I was, said Roscuro nervously. No, you weren't. Well, I'm just watching. Well, that's not very grateful of you after I've taken you under my wing. Botticelli wrapped a long, bony arm around Roscuro's shoulders. shoulders. Oh, I'm grateful, Roscuro insisted, a bit too eagerly. Really, I am. Botticelli leaned closer. You miss something, don't you? Oh, no, I don't, Roscuro protested, shrugging him off. There's nothing up there, Roscuro. Nothing at all. Oh, no, I know that. Roscuro smiled sheepishly and backed away. Absolutely nothing. Of course. Nothing. He quickly turned and hurried off as Botticelli watched him go. Nothing, Roscuro called back. A fat, lumpy rat named Smudge sidled up to Botticelli. That's a tough one, said Smudge. You're not going to turn him. You're not. 
Oh, I don't know, said Botticelli, his red eyes still on Roscuro. He licked one of his long claws. A rat is a rat. Doesn't really matter where you come from. Roscuro ran away into the orange night, missing that something all the more. He wound his way through the throng of rats and slipped away from the crowd. Heading in the other direction, Roscuro hurried past the crowded village. He climbed over bones and garbage towards the outskirts of the town, where a stone wall marked the edge of the rat world. Roscuro followed the wall down to a corner, where he found what he'd been looking for. Casting one last furtive glance over his shoulder, he squeezed into the wall's slim crevice. Inside, the space opened up into a small nook. Roscuro reached down and, with all his might, pulled back one of the bricks and he stepped into his private hiding place. The passage was small, but from within it, from within it Roscuro could look up to see one faint grey sliver of light. Roscuro let the light wash over him, drinking it in as if he needed it to live. And maybe he did. Then he just stared, hungrily, longingly. <laughs>